So lung ultrasound, that's just for doctors, isn't it? No one else can do lung ultrasound. It's far too difficult to learn. Is it? Really? Let's find out. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Critical Care Practitioner podcast for episode number 70-something, I think, now. I am beginning to lose count, which is a nice feeling. I'm joined today by Simon Haywood. Now, for those of you on Twitter, you may well know him as a Sono Physio. Uh, Simon is a physio who I met at the Intensive Care Society State of the Art Conference last year. He was doing a poster presentation on how he was beginning to use lung ultrasound in the care and diagnosis of his patients but we're going to talk more about that in a little while because he's also got a course that I want you to hear about Um, but the first thing I want to talk to Simon about is the World Congress of Physical Therapy which was held down in South Africa about a month ago Simon? Coming yeah about two or three weeks ago now. Yeah okay so first of all Simon just introduce yourself tell everybody who you are and how you got where you are today. Uh, so hello everybody, my name's Simon and I'm a physiotherapist at Blackpool Victoria Hospital up in the northwest of England uh, and I work on the cardiothoracic unit, although I've had experience across general and neuro ITUs as well and um, basically I was shown lung ultrasound by a very, very generous colleague of mine, an intensive care consultant called Dr Dan Kelly and uh, he basically opened up my eyes to the potential of this technique, especially for physiotherapists, because he thought it could very much help us as well. Okay. Like I say, we'll come back to that. Um, So Simon was at the World Congress of Physical Therapy, like I say, in South Africa, and he was tweeting like an absolute frantic thing because the tweets were going past my timeline almost constantly. And I know you got a shout out from a few people um, for kindly providing those. Um, what were some of the highlights of the, the the Congress, Simon? I mean, it was it was for physical therapists, physiotherapists, and respiratory therapists. Is that a fair summary? Um, yeah, basically that was what it was predominantly aimed at. Uh, so it's the World Congress. So you can't get much bigger than that. Basically, uh, it's held was held every four years, and now they've doing doing it on a two year cycle. So the next one is in Geneva in twenty nineteen. Uh, so I went along to there to present, actually, it was the same poster that you had a look at at the intensive care state of the art last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, tweaked it a little bit because there'd been a few updates on it, but basically I had the chance to present it again on the, you know, on a global platform. Mm. Uh, but with regards to some of the highlights, um, there was some interesting debates around uh, blunt chest wall trauma. So that was one of the ones I went to. Uh, it was hosted by some of the South African uh, physiotherapists that work in respiratory care and critical care. And um, they were basically going on to say that there's a lot of information out there, a lot of um, sort of protocols that aren't really tying up with the way patients are being managed. And I think it's something that in this country, I was talking to Dr. Kerry Battle, one of my colleagues a consultant physio in Wales. Uh, I was talking to her today about it again, that actually even within her hospital, and she's got basically developed these protocols, that she's struggling to get it, uh, manage these patients properly. So that was a very interesting session. Um, She was 
very pleased to be tweeted and mentioned and cited in that presentation. Uh, and uh, I think ultimately we need to get a little bit better at managing these patients. So, so what are the hurdles that are being encountered? I think from my experience and from from Kerry's experience, and again, even in a different country with the, the South African contingent, there's nobody's particularly taking the responsibility for this patient group. So there was definitely some debates about which speciality, speciality should take responsibility and is there generally a good practice of management. I think some of the treatments we've got uh, can be very effective. I think the pain management, I think the respiratory support, and I think the surgical applications, but ultimately it seems to be very, very different management across the board, across the UK and globally by the looks of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did we have? I there was a I got the chance to see um, a physiotherapist called Sabrina Eggman. She presented her research, and uh, I'll just read the title of it. It was a randomised controlled trial that they ran in, I think it was in Bern, uh, but definitely Switzerland. And um, functional effects of early combined endurance and resistance training in mechanically ventilated, critically ill patients. So we're looking at the rehab scope of things again. Mm-hmm. And um, basically two different training modalities, um, sort of standard care and then an enhanced one. And again, unfortunately, the end of this, it came up with no particular significant difference between the two, which seems to be a little bit of a common trend <laughs> these days. Um, and I'm sure you've had that experience as well from from the stuff that you've read. Most definitely. And I, I, I'm, I struggle to understand why. I think... Understanding the difference between basic care, routine care, you know, all these sort of measures of exactly what we call standard, and then going on to an enhanced level, in actual fact, was your basic care that you're measuring against, was that almost at an enhanced level to start with? You know, can we justify saying that actually we're not going to touch these patients at all from day from day one? leave them is it ethical to leave them and then compare them to somebody to a group that do get an intervention at a higher level and i don't think i don't think we can get that difference anymore i think we've all progressed so far that actually going back to what was originally deemed normal care where they didn't get anything apart from the time when they woke up eventually and then you try to move them on to you know downgrade them to level two care or even level level one mm. i don't think that is the case anymore so to find a unit in this country that has standard care as it used to be is a pretty tough thing so anything you do on top of your inadverted commas normal care doesn't really show much of a difference i don't think we're either measuring it sensitively enough or the basic care is more than it used to be Perhaps. And this is a conversation I had with uh, Bronwyn Connolly about this as well. It's not necessarily that we're not measuring it sensitively enough. What we're not doing is measuring the right thing. So we're not actually looking, we're not using the right tools to measure the right outcomes. And I think that's something that she's investigating with her research at the moment. So we need to perhaps have 
the right tools measuring what it is we're trying to measure, if that makes sense. Exactly, exactly. And that was something that she's been working on for a while. Uh, and uh, I look forward to anything that comes out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think it just, I, I know research isn't always common sense, but it would just make sense, wouldn't it? That if you if somebody does more exercise at an earlier stage in their illness, then it, it should make some difference. It may not make a massive difference, but you would think common sense would say that it would make some difference, you would have thought. But hey, um, <laughs> exactly. we, we wait to be proved right or wrong one way or another. So what else did you see there, Simon? Um, I got another chance to uh, see the presentation the uh, by Eve Corner. So again, I think you met Eve... At the very least, I think you met her at the uh, State of the Art last year when she was speaking about uh, sort of a Alice in Wonderland analogy with Down the Rabbit Hole. Yeah. So I got to see her presentation for a second time again. She had the opportunity to present it as a platform on a on a global stage. And again, very much like at the State of the Art last year, caused a lot of interest uh, and made some very, very senior clinicians sort of think about the experiences of their patients in a very, very different way. And it's quite interesting to sort of see some of the, her theoretical models that she sort of bases her studies on, um, that actually we could look at things in a completely different light and make some significant changes to how we manage these patients, especially with regards to delirium and coming out of a sort of a delirium state. So very very interesting that again and good to see it good to see it a second time basically. Yeah, yeah. She was she was excellent the first time. I think she was one of the ladies that shared the stage with um, the the Alex. his name escapes me. Alex wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so yes, that was a that was a really interesting session and uh, she she gave a fascinating talk. So yes, if if you ever get a chance to hear her talk and it was recorded at the State of the Art and that's something I need to say as well actually while I think about it, Simon, is that um, for anyone that's listening out there, the Intensive Care Society State of the Art uh, podcasts from last year have up to this moment only really been available from the website um, and from iTunes. Well, hopefully um, in the next week or so, you will start be able to get them from whatever podcatcher you happen to use. So I'm not an iTunes person because I don't use an iPhone, but these will now be available from um, Pocket Cast or whichever other podcatcher you use. And I'll make sure that hers is one of those that goes out earlier rather than later because um, she gave a, a very interesting talk. So yeah, it would well worth listening to and like i say go to the uh, intensive care society um podcasts and you can have a listen to that so sorry carry on simon what 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 else caught your eye or your ear um i think sort of towards the end of the congress there was uh, again a platform presentation by uh somebody I, I met out there he's called owen and on on twitter he's he's hashtag sorry his twitter handle is oxford's icu physio his name is Owen. He works in Oxford, as the handle would suggest. And um, he's done a he's done a study which actually looks at shoulder dysfunction in the critical care population, and some of the results that they had on a long term point of view, you know, follow ups that were sort of six months later, showed that there were a huge huge number of patients that were still having a significant shoulder dysfunction that was affecting 
their functional level, their life, their their lifestyle. You know, quite a quite a long time after their critical illness, mm. um, which again made some quite interesting, made a very interesting presentation. But again, raised some few questions, quite a few, quite a lot of interest in what he was presenting. And actually, it's something that, as a physiotherapy cohort, I'm sorry, as a physiotherapy profession, that we're perhaps not looking as closely at we'll look at some of the mobility side of things but actually you know the shoulder function is quite a significant limitation to a lot of patients board you know in similar circumstances similar shoulder dysfunction scores on the outcome measures akin with um patients after stroke so big big issues still with regards to the rehab side of things much further down the line than perhaps we would really like to think absolutely and unfortunately i think we're still in a healthcare system where these patients get lost to follow up probably reasonably quickly once they've been discharged from hospital and as a consequence don't get the long-term follow-up that they probably need and um, i think probably you and all my listeners could appreciate the fact that if you can't move your shoulders very well your mobility is probably going to be affected quite severely and certainly your lifestyle very much so, very much so. And that's exactly what exactly what Owen was sort of talking about, that actually we need to be aware that if we're looking at uh, while the patient is still critically ill, that you're looking at a, somebody with a shoulder dysfunction, loss of tone, loss of muscle, you know, protecting the joint, hmm. then we need to be considering some of these complications, these long-term complications a lot sooner and see if, whether we can impact them. At the very least, maybe slow them down. And again, the rehab tends to be all very much about trunk, lower limb, mobility, sitting, standing, things like that. But actually, are we missing a trick with perhaps the upper limb as well? And if you can't use your shoulders and get your shoulder movement working effectively, then, you know, the, the finer details, the finer movements further on down the line with regards to writing, they're severely affected if you can't get the the uh, the proximal joint working properly. Yeah, okay. So the the Congress itself, is that, was it a three, four-day Congress? So it was held over three days. Um, a mixture of, mixture of specialities across all three days. Um, there was a huge, huge poster room they were posters new each day and there were at least two 200 posters each day wow. uh, which was great coverage on a multitude of new ideas from from low resource areas and war zones to, you know to the very very high tech um, mm. things you know you could I'd like to think you can include lung ultrasound in that but um, huge scope uh, they had the typical sort of uh, rapid fives the platforms and then the main presentations uh, and hosted hosted debates and things like that. Um, one thing they did was also an indaba, which was uh, sort of the impromptu. Somebody would lead it, but basically it was a kind of an open discussion in a very casual format, sitting on beanbags and things like that, which was which was quite good fun. A lot of people enjoyed those. You, get, you just get involved. It was almost as though you're sort of relaxing in somebody's living room and just talking quite casually. Uh, and was was that with a, a, a panel who was sitting around waiting for questions from the audience, or was it even more casual than that? Not a panel, just pretty much led by one individual, 
who had been invited to sort of lead the sessions uh, and focus around various topics, but they they were only very short duration, uh, uh, so you could actually quit, fit quite a few in. And it was just a chance for certain individuals to sort of show some of their work, but in a slightly different way and discuss it through, take questions and, you know, moderate in certain circumstances, but it hadn't been a format that I was familiar with. And uh, it was it was quite good fun in certain circumstances, but I didn't get to go to many of them, unfortunately. And other than physios, what other professions did you meet there? Um, I have to say, predominantly physiotherapists. <laughs> I didn't actually meet anybody that wasn't um, either a researcher or you know a clinician. Pretty much mainly physiotherapists in that respect. That, that's interesting though, isn't it? it because is, I, it is. I would have thought a conference like that would benefit from uh, almost a multi-professional approach as well. I know the focus is on uh, physical therapy and of course it's going to be mainly physical physio and respiratory therapists, but I, I, I would be interested to see whether the advent of new professions like my own uh, would be something that, you know, I would love to attend a conference like that. I'm sure a lot of it would be very very relevant to my practice. Absolutely, and it was something I, I gave in the feedback. And it's by no means that they, they're limiting the, uh, the, the application from any, any profession whatsoever, hmm. but there's definitely a focus that you you get certain reductions in the cost of the of the attendance if you if you're a member of a the sort of the the national and in our case the chartered society of physiotherapy if you're a member okay. of that so but, but what about the speakers were they pretty predominantly physio physical respiratory therapists i'm just off the top of from all from all the sessions that i went to they were absolutely um and i was going to go on to say that the feedback i had was that it would be it would be beneficial to have other individuals come and present some of the their work because i think we need to feed off the other professions like yours like the medics but there just didn't seem to be that level of interest if they were there then i didn't didn't get a chance to speak to any of them or see any of them present. So I do apologise if I missed anybody, but <laughs> everybody I did meet did seem to be from our profession or my profession. Uh, and and I know what these conferences are like. They can go by in a bit of a whirl sometimes, can't they? And yeah. you, you, you actually end up meeting very few. You know, I was smack in Germany. I knew there was a lot of people <laughs> there that I knew, but I got to actually meet only a very small proportion of them, unfortunately, which is a bit of a shame, but there you go. Um, Okay, so I'm going to move on from the Congress now, Simon, and I Mm -hmm. want to talk about your ultrasound work because lung ultrasound um, is something that um, I is one of my targets for the next year to six months um, for me to get more practiced at, and I'm hoping that I can uh, get somebody to uh, fund me to do the QSIC. Um, and move on from there because I think it's like you I have been shown lung ultrasound and every time I see it I just think how fabulous it is it's I correct me if I'm wrong but lung ultrasound the actual technique of doing it is not that difficult the interpretation at its most basic level, isn't so hard. Um, you can go into more technicalities at a later point, I think, and 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 
um, refine it down to a more refined technique, if that's the right expression. Um, but ultimately, from a baseline, it just looks looks like a such a simple thing to do with potentially such huge reward. Absolutely, it's. I think picking up the skill, getting used to the machinery, and things like that aren't too difficult, and people can pick it up within a very very short space of time. And by that, I mean minutes if not you know an hour or so it's not in my opinion not particularly difficult the problem is that the like anything it's there's a there's a link in the you know there's very there's a chain and you need to get the links in the chain so you need to be able to handle the machine and then move on to get the images to then interpret the images to then in, inform your practice or intervention or an outcome measure and unfortunately Building up that chain is the tricky thing. You need to practice again and again and again. So the initial the initial thing where you're seeing the machine, you set it up, get it going, not too difficult. Probe on the probe on the patient or, or practicing with a model, not too difficult. It's then feeding that process into the clinical reasoning that that takes the time and getting the images as good an image as possible. That takes that takes the practice. And then however good you think you are, there's always going to be the odd anomaly or the odd patient that just doesn't present in the, in the, in the way that you're expecting. So then you really have to go hunting for the, for the information that you need. So tell me how you utilize it in your daily work. How does it help you care for the kind of patients you come across? Initially, I would kind of scan as many people as I could and just to get some of the practice in. Uh, but as time has progressed, I want to keep scanning as many people because I'd love to use it as a baseline measure. So a little bit when you do your first assessment, somebody that's indicated to have, to see a physiotherapist on, and I'm, let's talk about sort of cardiothoracic unit, somebody that's indicated for us to see, get a baseline measure because... Obviously, at some point, you never know what's going to happen to that patient further down the line. Hmm. So like, as, like a, a normal assessment, and then go from there as to see if they change, if they progress, or unfortunately, deteriorate. But more so now, it's scanning individuals that aren't necessarily hitting the milestones I would expect them to. So the ones that perhaps aren't weaning off the oxygen, the ones that aren't weaning on the ventilators if they happen to have deteriorated that far, the ones that you're not able to extubate as quickly, uh, or in some circumstances, if they've been, if they've had a tracheostomy, the ones that you aren't able to wean off the tracheostomy as well. So it's usually the milestones in one instance, and then the deterioration as well. So if an individual is going up on their oxygen there, their gases are deteriorating, things like that. And the chest x-rays aren't perhaps giving the information that, to me that I would like. Or in some instances, there isn't a chest x-ray at that particular moment in time, then I will grab the machine and, and go in and see if I can actually negate the need for a chest x-ray in the first instance. So it's not hitting the milestones and any signs of deterioration that I don't feel as a clinician that they're making the progress that they should do. 
And how much um, say do you get in how you change the patient's treatment as a consequence? Because I know, you know, there are there are some physios um, who are not as autonomous as it sounds you are. What 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 degree of autonomy have you got in your daily workload at the moment? A reasonable amount, I would like to say. Um, with regards to sort of scanning an individual, scanning a patient, there's no, nothing's holding me back from that. We do have the use of machines in our unit and fortunately for us in certain, you know, on the two units at Blackpool, we actually have exclusive use of a machine for the for our very own practice. Um, we've kind of acquired, shall we say, the sort of the ones that have been, uh, the upgrades have been made, newer machines have been bought, and then we've had the ability to use the older machines. It doesn't mean that we don't get to play with the new ones every now and again, but uh, it's good to have something that we're able to access without needing to ask for permission, that we can just go and get the machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that level of autonomy is very, very useful, and that's something that may be quite unique at the moment for a physiotherapist, but it's only through pushing asking being very 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 annoying on my part to keep pushing these things so how many of you are there in your team that um do the kind of things that you're doing with ultrasound at the minute then there's three of us that i would like to call competent and autonomous uh myself on the cardiothoracics and two of my colleagues on the general intensive care um we will use it on a daily basis, multiple times a day with patients that perhaps, like I mentioned before, aren't aren't hitting hitting the milestones or, or showing signs of deterioration. They're not fitting the normal pattern that we would like. Then with regards to sort of moving on to informing the medical profession, because some instances it, we're not going to be able to influence the patient's pathway depending on what we find. And I'd just like to use lung ultrasound so that if I can, if I find something that I'm going to be able to treat, then I have a much better reassurance that I'm going to be effective. Mm. So if I'm finding, if I'm finding the atelectasis as opposed to the pneumonia or the effusion, then it's still going to be a team effort, but I know that I can get in there, try and influence it. And even by the end of the treatment session, have I made an impact? And that's, the beauty with the ultrasound is that you can treat somebody and then almost immediately see if you've had an effect. And that's where I'd love some some research research to come out with regards to purely physiotherapy practice. Can we make that difference at the bedside and show it yeah. specifically with um, a measure? Yeah, I mean it sounds brilliant. I mean that's the kind of thing that I was I was thinking about really that um, it is a very dynamic mechanism isn't it you know that you can treat the patient it's not like an x-ray you, you're not exposing them to radiology you can stick an ultrasound probe on someone's chest and you're not going to cause them any issues it's very quick to do it's very quick to interpret and it's very quick to act upon so that must be immensely satisfying as a practitioner as well absolutely absolutely and it's like you said it's one of the beauties of of the technique that i could do serial scanning before during after and um, make make my decisions as to the treatment and it can change throughout the treatment 
if I'm able to scan. So if you've got somebody with you working with you, then you can actually scan while treating. Mm. I've done that on very few occasions, but the potential is definitely there. And at the very, very least, it needs to be explored from a from a physiotherapy point of view and, you know, critical care practitioner and medical point of view. Yeah. These, these things need to be explored as to the fine, fine details of how we're going to use it. Uh, because it's not like saying you've got a CT scan. Oh, we've got one CT scan. It was done yesterday. Yeah. We don't need one for X amount of time. Yeah. There's things have been said that, you know, physiotherapists don't perhaps need to do the scanning because one of the medical teams scanned earlier in the day, but they were perhaps looking for different things. And if they did find a larger fusion and they've drained it or they found atelectasis, they let us know we treated it, scan again afterwards for our own knowledge. Did we impact? Did we make a difference? And that's that's the team dynamic. It's like auscultation. You know, we all auscultate, we all palpate regular, regular times throughout the day. And without giving a dose of radiation, why can't we serial scan throughout the day? But each individual profession can be looking for slightly different things to influence with their treatments. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. I mean, that, yeah, spot on. I want to talk about your course, Simon, mm-hmm. because it's one I wanted to come on, but unfortunately, time just will not allow me to. I'm just busy doing so many other things. But it's I'm sure one... you said that in December last year. Yeah, I think I probably did actually. <laughs> um, it's been that kind of year. Um, d- d- what 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 inspired this course? Tell tell me the inspiration and what your objectives behind it. What is it you aim to teach? Who are you aiming to teach? My kind of my kind of mission statement was to shout about lung ultrasound as much as I could. That was my initial motivation, and as soon as my mentor Dan Kelly showed me this technique, and I just eureka moment an epiphany whatever you want to call it Mm. um i couldn't quite believe that i was an individual that hadn't heard about this before hadn't heard about anybody else doing it before that actually it it was as though it's this sort of dark secret so i decided to basically teach ourselves how to do the how to do the technique so i drafted in a number of my colleagues, two of them are now competent along with me and accredited by under QSIC uh, from the Intensive Care Society. So drafted in, started in, you know, tried to get our own house in order, so to speak, upskill our own team. And uh, off the back of that, and basically through Twitter and sort of being slightly uh, annoying and sort of getting the message out there, a few individuals asked me, could we do the course? Could we, could we have a go? Could you come and show us what to do? Uh, and that's kind of how it came about. So I then repeated the training course that I'd put myself and my colleagues through about, oh, call them probably 18 months ago now, uh, repeated it to some more colleagues in, in the trust to get the curriculum, the, the, the package, Right. Plus, it was also upskilling some of our other other team members, and then I think it was Cardiff um, with a now good friend of mine, uh, Paul Twoes, who again is a prolific tweeter. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the f- first person to contact me and say, "I'd like to see what this could do. C- 
could you come down to Cardiff? Mm-hmm. And that was that was kind of it. That was the first formal course. Uh, so myself and Dan went down and uh, put them through their paces. One of the people down there happened to be Kerry Battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from there, other ideas have sort of have sprung and developing the course, pushing it forwards, tweaking it a little bit, just trying to make it a little bit slicker, a bit s- smarter, getting the QSIC accreditation or uh, accreditation for the actual course itself. So it's now approved by QSIC. So it'll be the introductory course that QSIC recommends that will m- meet the needs of that. Uh, and then t- taking it from there, trying to spread the word, basically. Fantastic. Um, and are you you're getting a lot of interest? More more than I can handle, okay. <laughs> which is which I think if I go back to what I wanted to do in the first instance, which was shout from shout from the rooftops about this technique, I think I've definitely gone part of the way to do that because on a weekly basis I get inquiries coming in all the time. Hmm. If it's not to you know, can you do a course in Newcastle? Can you do a course in Truro? Can you do another one in Cardiff, please? Mm. Then um, it's to sort of go somewhere and, and talk about the physiotherapist's use of lung ultrasound. And within this 18 months, it's just been a bit of a whirlwind that it's just snowballing, building on and on and on. And every time I do something like this, then there's a bit more inquiries and things. So it's wonderful. Absolutely. I'm over the moon, genuinely over the moon that... It is now on a lot of physiotherapists, especially critical care physiotherapists, but more respiratory physios as well, yeah. outside of the ICU, that it's on their radar. They know that people are doing it, so it's possible. And when I was speaking at the um, ACPRC conference earlier in the year, which that's the Association of Chartered Physiotherapists in Respiratory Care, one of the things I said in that talk is that I'm introducing them to it, but I have no idea how each individual physiotherapist within their speciality is going to use it. And that is just mind-blowing that somebody that's working with cystic fibrosis or bronchiectatics or um, out in the community with the sort of the complex patient that has COPD and heart failure, it would differential diagnostics are so powerful with lung ultrasound that you could really really make a big difference to these patients and getting the word out there is it's so exciting to see what people come back with it really is okay i mean you you, you sold me before you even started but you've you've doubly sold me now anyway and and like i said to you before we started recording that kusik is something that's definitely on my radar because it just seems like a it's just to use the expression that i i don't particularly enjoy but it is a bit of a no-brainer really isn't it when it comes to um working with your patients um so um the I've lost my train of thought because my computer's having a bit of a moment. Um, so where was I? Oh, you're right. Yeah. So how do we, if if people want to talk to you about the course, how do they do that? Do they just, is Twitter the best way to approach you? I pretty much blame Twitter for everything, which is, which is kind of a good thing. And I, Yeah, I my wife does relate. that as well, Simon, to be honest. <laughs> I think you can relate to this definitely. Yeah. Is Without Twitter, it's been one of the, that's one of the biggest catalysts to anything I could have got out there um the the message 
had, had I wouldn't say gone viral, but the message is so much easier to get out there with a medium like Twitter. So if somebody wants to get in touch with me, if they've got any questions, then yeah, Twitter at Sonophysio. There's a link on there to the website. And again, you can send me an email through the website. That's not a problem. Uh, I tend not to be able to put my phone down <laughs> for too long, uh, constantly checking it. So get in touch if you've got any ideas or any questions, because I'm currently working with Dr. Kerry Battle on the blunt chest wall trauma. We're doing a systematic review together. Uh, I'm working on some other projects as well. And it's just, like I said to you, people coming back to you, it's amazing, amazing how innovative people can be once they get an understanding of how a technique works. And there's a multitude of ways this still could be used within the medical profession, within the practitioner profession, and within the physio that, you know, we haven't even, I, I don't think we've even scratched the surface as to the, the fine details about how this could be used. So no. get in touch, throw me a question. I've read most of the literature that involves physiotherapists' use of ultrasound, if not all of it. Um, that's a scoping review that should be published later this year. Uh, so if I haven't heard about it, chances are it's a completely new area of research. So get in touch, learn the technique. That sounds easy, but learn the technique. And uh, chances are if you put out a case study or any research around some of the topics that you work, you know, some of the areas that people work in, chances are it's going to be pretty novel globally. So it's exciting stuff. Excellent. So what are the courses you've got coming up in the next few months that people might still be able to access? Um, I've got, in September, I'm in Nottingham. So we're running the same one-day introductory course on two consecutive days. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I think that is the, the, let me just check my diary because I lose track of the dates. I think that's the 21st and 22nd of September. Let me just clarify that. Sorry, 22nd and 23rd of September. So that's in Nottingham, Nottingham City Hospital. I think there may be only one or two places left on each day now. There's always the opportunity that someone might cancel or people drop out. That's fine. Chances are, from my other courses, the uptake is pretty good. I almost have a waiting list for, for people cancelling. Interestingly, uh, through Twitter, I've got uh, Johnny Wilkinson. Okay. Uh, your yeah. your friend from from Northampton is coming down to teach with me on the Friday, so that's an absolute privilege. I haven't met Johnny before. So. Oh, you're like Johnny; he's a good lad. <laughs> so he's coming down to teach with me on the Friday, and then on the Saturday I have a slightly different twist on it. So if anybody's interested in sort of pediatric intensive care, I have a physio colleague of mine, uh, Simon Gates, uh, coming down on the Saturday to teach with me on that day, and. Um, he is using. He didn't. He didn't learn through my course. He learned through a different avenue, which is quite rare. But uh, he uses lung ultrasound on a pediatric population, which again, you know, you talk, you know, physios with lung ultrasound skills is rare enough, let alone within a pediatric population. On top of that, so um, after that, uh, there was a course in London uh, on the twentieth and twenty-first of October. Unfortunately, that is completely booked out. Um, that was arranged by the South London Critical Care Network. And I think I've got physios, practitioners and medics on that course, those two courses. But they've pretty much said, no, we want everything. <laughs> so they've completely booked it out. Okay. Uh, uh, 
So then the only opportunity after that that I've got at the moment is February of 2018. So I'm in Oxford, uh, over in Oxford on the Friday the 16th and 17th of February. Uh, and at the moment that's still in the planning stages, but I'm hoping that there will be some some uh, some places that will be able to go out to people that aren't from that area. So fingers crossed, but do keep, do keep a track on Twitter. So it sounds like you have got yourself um, a full agenda ahead, um, and it sounds rather Sorry. like you, you. If there's anyone out there who uh, wants to give Simon a hand, I'm sure he might gratefully accept the odd uh, the odd offer. Um, get in touch with him, have a word. It sounds like there's a big demand for it, Simon, and I'm not surprised to be honest with you. And especially now, it's got some accreditation as a pre QSIC course as well. I think that will be absolutely fabulous. Um, I know there are a lot of um, ACCPs out there some of whom are already doing it and are accredited through the various mechanisms that one can become yeah. so. Um, but I know that there are an awful lot who are anticipating doing it once they're qualified and those that are already qualified, myself included. So There's quite a few that have snuck onto the courses. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I'm not going to keep you, I'm not going to keep you any longer Simon um because it's a uh, quarter to 10 in the evening we chose to uh, record after a long day so um it's been fascinating to talk to you buddy um are you you're planning to be at the intensive care society conference this year I believe Oh absolutely yeah. wouldn't miss that for the world fabulous last time was my first one so I'm going to be there, absolutely. Good. Um, well, I will certainly be there, and we will talk before then anyway, because I've got one or two things I want to run past you anyway. Um, so Great. I'm going to let you go. Um, thanks for doing that for me, Simon. And like I say to everybody out there, uh, if you want to get in touch with them, Sonophysio uh, from Twitter. Um, Simon, like me, can see why Twitter is such a fabulous resource. And if you want to come across a lot of innovative individuals, then Twitter is one place where you will find an awful lot of them. So I agree. Just to um, clarify the other things that uh, I've been up to, um, Smack has, seems like a distant memory now. That was a fabulous conference. Really, really enjoyed that. Um, I'm also speaking to a group of advanced clinical practitioners um, tomorrow um, to talk to them about um, some of the things that they're doing in Birmingham Heartlands. Um, they are planning a conference in October. Um, that's uh, the group that have been in place now at Heartlands for some time um, and they are going to do their first formal conference and I'm hoping that we can do that alongside Coventry and Derby at some point. I've been tweeting the two um, groups um, in various places and hopefully maybe next year we can do a regional ACP conference but that's somewhere I'm hoping to tweet from and for, to live stream from as well. So I'm talking to them tomorrow night. I'm going to produce a podcast and let you know. Plans are afoot for the internet care society state-of-the-art conference um there is going to be a new poster out soon letting everybody know exactly what's happening there um, and if you go this year a it's in liverpool and b as part of your ticket you will get um entertained for one of the evenings as well um at a function there so um it's it's moving it's developing the, the the council are very keen to make it uh, forward thinking and to be a conference that people actually want to go to rather than feel they ought to go to. So um, it's nice that people like Simon are making positive comments like that. The other piece of news is that I am going on holiday in a couple of weeks. Yay! I'm really looking forward to that. I'm off to a little place just outside Venice for two weeks. I'm keeping a very close eye on the temperatures and they're sitting anywhere between 31 and 41 degrees at the moment, which is just perfect for 
for me. We've got a pool, we've got a beach, and as long as I've got two happy 13-year-olds, I'm sure we'll have an absolutely fabulous holiday. I'm not going to keep you any longer. It's been lovely to talk to you all again. I hope you're all well, and we'll speak again soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Critical Care Practitioner. If you would like to comment on any of today's topics, find us at criticalcarepractitioner.co.uk, tweet us at ccpractitioner, find us at facebook.com slash criticalcarepractitioner, or search Critical Care Practitioner on iTunes. <laughs>